Blog Talk Radio. Show. NASCA stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Kim Lakin, and I am your host this evening. And my beautiful co-host Penelope is on with us this evening as well. We are on stand number 3231 this evening. And we have a very special guest that I'm excited to introduce to you here in just a minute as soon as we get through all of the other stuff we got to do. But um, we would love to have you call in and be a part of the panel if you have any questions. And if not, if you want to just call in and listen, we'd love to have you too. So that guest call in number is 646-595-2118. And again, this is scan number 3231. Um, we have a single purpose here at NASCA, and that is to address issues that are related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violence or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo at discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, preventing facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And so again, we are on scan number 3231, and we'd love to have you be a part of our panel. Give us a call, and um, you can interact with our, our special guest tonight. So that number is 646 so our special guest this evening is Deanna Lehman, I believe that's how you spell her name, I'll have to ask her for sure, from Haley, Idaho, and she is a child abuse survivor, an author, a poet, and an artist. Her books include Tender Whore, Pandora's Box, and Japanese Dreams. As a little girl, she was physically, sexually, and psychologically abused leading her to her removal from her biological mother's custody and into foster care. 
After two failed adoptions, she became a troubled teen and was placed in mental institutions, a children's home, juvenile detention, reformatory school, and foster homes. As a ward of the state of Ohio throughout the 80s and into the 90s, yet consistently through her journey of haunted hardship and wistful yearning, Deanna is still able to capture the joy and beauty of existence. More precious for its rarity in her rootless, tumultuous existence. This book covers theme covers the theme of love and loss, betrayal and striving to be accepted in a world that doesn't seem to care. This accounting is not just a coming of age tale, but also an overview of the federal system set in place for abused children, including hospitalizations for behavioral difficulties and vivid testimony of Deanna's unfortunate peers experiencing similar woes. She has a BA from the University of Amora, Amori, I'm apologize, I, I know I didn't say that one right, um, from Japan and has lived in Ohio, Florida, Japan, New York, and West Virginia. She is currently living in Haley, Idaho with her boyfriend, David Feeling. So we are going to go ahead and bring you on, Deanna, and welcome to the show. We're so honored to have you here with us this evening. Thank you so much for having me here this evening. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, you have just a really powerful story, and we are just honored that you're willing to come on to the show and share that with us. So thank you for that. Um, I'm glad to have the opportunity. It's it's really, you know, I, I do my best to reach as many people as possible um, at the, at this point. It's 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 more like um, I I make almost nothing for what I do, but still I do it. I go out there and try to touch as many people as I can. And I know that there are many other people out there who have been physically, sexually, psychologically abused by those that they grew up with. And some of them didn't make it, too. Their tales are silent. You know, so um, I I really just try to reach out to as many people as I possibly can and um, hope it resonates with them. You know, the tale's not always so sugar and spice. So, you know, I, I admit when I'm wrong or mess up as well. And, you know, the system oh. does create troubled children when you are going through so many different homes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I've heard that so many times. I mean, we've had so many people come on here and tell us, you know, that same thing. We've also had a few, I mean, believe it or not, that have had good experiences, which is a blessing to know that there are some out there, but... It doesn't help you, you know, who have experienced that. And I'm sorry that you had to go through all of that. Actually, I had I had quite a mixed experience, you know. It's true there was one who was sexually abusing the children in the home. But at the same token, there was another foster family that, you know, it made a life difference between ages four and seven. It just well, that's the only way that we're going to know. Yeah, and that's the only way as abused children that we would know that there is something better and something different, and obviously somebody did make a big impact on you. The, un- the unfortunate part, 
the unfortunate part was that they wanted to adopt me, but because they were in their early 50s, they were not considered eligible to adopt a child my age. Oh, no. That is too bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, darn. I wonder, if it's, I wonder if it is still like that these days. I'll bet it's tightened up a little bit. I don't know. People live longer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm 55. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm 55, and I have six grandbabies. I don't think I look anything like my grandpa's oh, wow. 55, but I could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, okay, so go ahead and get into your story, because we could just chit-chat all day. And it'll go really fast if we don't get started. So what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to kind of start in your early years, whatever you remember from those early years, and then just kind of work your way through those, you know, elementary years. And then we might just break after you've kind of done your early years. And then um, my co-host, Penelope, is on the phone with us as well. And she might have a Mm -hmm. question for you. And then we have another guest that calls it a guest caller that, is one of our regular call-ins, and he might have a question for you as well, if that's okay. And then sure. you could kind of go back into, like, the second part of your life, and then we'll probably, you know, kind of break again. And if there's something that comes up that I'd like to ask you a question about, I may interrupt you, just because sometimes okay. I'll forget by the time <laughs> the time comes. You probably know how that goes. But, um, yeah. yeah, so we'll just kind of let you because it's your show and so we want to just hand it over to you and let you go ahead and tell your story i see go ahead Um, yes i i thought i thought i could um i i started i started off the book i started off the book with a a chinese curse may you have an interesting life that's how I thought it was best to start it out. Um, yes, my life's been very interesting, and I, I'm really glad I got through it and survived it. But it made the highs all the sweeter, you know. So, um, I the earliest memories I have are just um, it, mostly. I started the book with when I was taken from my mother at the age of four and a half. Um, I remember it was a it was cold night a little bit after Christmas, and um, yes, that was that was I felt like I was being kidnapped. That's pretty much what it felt like. It felt like being kidnapped. I went I went to I was taken to an, a foster home, and there, you know, I didn't really settle down very well. I had trouble sleeping quite a bit. Um, I was always thinking about my mother, and I, I would think about, then I went into the memories that I had of my mother, and then it was more like, uh, I remember being hungry all the time, that was a big one, I remember not having any toys really except one stuffed animal that was on my bed, I remember um, eating things off the floor and out from underneath the couch cushions and weird things like that and always getting into trouble because I didn't have any toys so I was always playing with something that I wasn't supposed to be playing with. I would uh, get locked down in the basement on a regular basis and it would always be at night usually except in the very early hours of the morning. Um, 
and I would be told that there was a monster in the basement that wanted to eat me. And I believed that there was one there. And and I was absolutely terrified, you know, and just waiting to be eaten in the Gosh. dark. Yes. Yeah. And um, one time I played with the stove, um, and I got caught playing with the stove, and my mother took me down on this little uh, footstool and held held my hands down and burned my fingers one by one. And once she burned so badly that it it cracked the fingernail of the pinky nail from the heat. So I didn't know that, but it will crack right down the middle if, if there's enough heat. But, um, you know, that then I remembered... Uh, I remembered being sexually abused by my uncle and he was a babysitter and I remembered being sexually abused by him and I recall that situation and how he was the only person in the whole house who was actually being nice to me, playing with me, you know, doing things for me, you know, and that's, so I kind of tried to explain that whole how it was love and loyalty and how that messes with a child's mind almost as much as the sexual abuse or if not more past the point because, you know, I wasn't physically harmed by him, just sexually molested. And, you know, he, so it was a really mixed up thing for me and I didn't even know what we were doing was wrong at all because at that age, I mean, you know, adults wipe your butt. They, they, you get shots that you're not warned about. You know, all sorts of adults do all sorts of weird things to you when you're that age. So, yeah. Um. So I remembered. I remembered the abuse, and I remembered the neglect. I remembered running after her and her walking way ahead of me and not even looking back to see if I was there, and I was very small. So um, I, I remember it all, but still, when I was, children seem to have, it feels to me like un, there's an unconditional love that can't be, it doesn't matter what the mother does. In fact, in an extreme crime case, I even, I even, I've even heard of a, per, of a young girl who is contacting her mother in prison after her mother killed her sister and tried to kill her and still the love mother bond was not broken in that case trauma bond yeah yeah yeah. so um, you know I still wanted my mother with everything that I had and, and but I went I had my normal days I had difficulties at night I was a I was a continuous bedwetter, which did not really make, did did not help when it came time to try to find homes, and I was still having difficulties at night. I couldn't sleep, and I, when I did sleep, I would wet the bed, so it didn't make me the most lovable child, on top of the fact that I have a disability, which is, um... It was mysterious, but the bi- my biological family said that my left eye was burnt out by a cigarette by my biological mother. She oh, said gosh. it just popped. She said it just popped by itself, and she doesn't know what happened. 
and the doctors were just left with the remains of an eyeball to try to figure out what happened to it, and everybody had their own theory. So um, I don't know. I don't know if she did that or not. Only she knows for sure, and, you know, I would love to because, you know, one of the things, this is not like a... Stephen Frey, little pieces of me type of book. My book is 100% real, and I can take a lie detector test for every sentence. But I would love to get her on, like, the Steve Wilkos show, right? That's where they do the lie detector tests. But she would never agree to that, I'm sure, because, you know, I guess what it is is, you know, I've talked to her as an, you know, as an adult, and she does not want to be reminded of what she did and, you know, I was willing to do that, but even, you know, it was sad to say, but even after giving her an opportunity to understanding that she could hurt, try to hurt me, she did go out of her way to try to hurt me verbally. And then I was like, okay, I gave it a shot. That's on her still. It's it's amazing. It's, there's no hallmark ending with these things usually. You know, it's more like... You just have to let people go. Yeah. Well, because um, you just know they're never going to change. They're just not going to change on you. And as a child growing up and wanting to always have, you know, your your parents' approval. Right. um, To get to that point to know, I think that they're not ever going to change is is heartening and it's also – kind of eye-opening, you know, there's just really nothing I can do that is going to change them. And so I need to keep it. So do you keep in touch with her stuff quite a bit these days, or do you Um, try not to? I I keep in touch with a half-sister, a biological half-sister, who um, is extremely sick and lives in Sunda, and she's extremely sick, and she lives with, she has to live with, our mom and um she has to deal she has to deal with with her abuse in in that environment as an adult but she loves her very much and would fight anybody to the to the death for her at the same time so you know but it it has been i can i'm very glad to say that i i feel that um i'm happy that i didn't grow up in the environment even though her other children that after me, after I was taken, she had other children that she was able to keep. So um, those children didn't seem to do so well and have real issues, real complex issues with her in terms of their feelings of love-hate. So um, So did you have have any siblings that you grew up? Or did you just have your no. half-sibling and she was just your mom? She didn't really grow up. I didn't grow up with any siblings. And even in foster care, usually the kids are upset. And, and you know, you play a little here and there, but you're mostly thinking of home. And, um, you know, almost half afraid to get used to wherever you're at because that's somehow being disloyal to home, you know. And they don't usually don't stay that terribly long. I was in a wonderful foster home for Mr. and Mrs. Arthur and Sophie Cave. And um, they took very good care of me. 
and they had other children there too on my request because I sat on the front step one day and said, I'm lonely. So they had other kids. So that was nice and, you know, I was there, but then what happened was at seven they decided that what happened was my mother finally gave up custody. She was pinned to the ground and I was in the courthouse that day. She wouldn't make eye contact with me. The judge did, though. He treated me like I was a person, you know? And uh, that really impressed me because usually adults ignore kids. But, um, you know, the adult, he, he, he was like asking her if she wanted custody of me. And then she said, no, Danny won't let me. And that was the person that she was with at the time, who I have to say, he was taking care of two of her children already that weren't his. And the thought of adding a third, and then if my brother came along, a fourth. You know, I guess he had to say no, past the point. So um, he couldn't afford to raise that many kids. So that was the situation with that, but I didn't understand. I just knew that my mom said that she gave up custody of me. And then um, that was the day I became, in, that was the seeds of my atheism were born that day. Because it's kind of a funny story, but I'd been praying for a couple of years to go home. Like every single night I had been praying to go home to my mom and little brother. And um, I, I, that's when I went back home. And I, I said, I, I, instead of praying, I got into a praying position and said, I hate you. And then I took that little Bible that they give you at Sunday school and I tore a page out of it, crumpled it up and threw it away. And each time I did it, I, I waited to get hit by a lightning bolt. You know, I mean, I actually (laughs) covered my head up and everything, you know? And, um, so but then I was like, well, maybe he's not there. But that was that was at seven, and then I didn't think about it for a long time. But um, yeah, and then so they how tried old to were adopt you? Yeah, seven. Yeah, you were seven when that all happened. Okay. And it was and it was the day that uh, my mom gave up custody. I was just really upset. But um. They tried to adopt me off, and and I I went to one place for a weekend, and it was really like a, it was kind of like a cruel joke. I mean, I saw this on Family Guy once. The kid the kid is taken to the home. They showed a beautiful farm that's five acres, and a neat little tractor and farm animals and everything. And um, here's the school you'll be going to, and here's the principal. And then at the end of it all. I was, the the state was told, we don't think Deanna looks like a little girl should look. So, I think it was because of my eye, my eye, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, I wasn't perfect or whatever. I guess it's like the puppy pick, you know. Don't have anything wrong with them first. I don't know. But that's what the sentence was that was that I found on paperwork, you know, was that I didn't, I I guess I just wasn't pretty enough for them. So, um, 
they didn't want me. So that was one home attempt. And then the state thought that I was trying to sabotage the visit because, you know, I had talked their daughter into running like a hose on the electric fence just because I found out a couple seconds before she did that it was electrified with water. It felt funny. So um, they weren't happy about that. But um, so that did that one didn't work seven. out. Then, yes, seven yeah, you were like seven years. or eight. How could you have? How would you have known? I just don't think you could have known that it was electric. I mean, well, because I didn't know it was electric. All I knew is that when I was playing with the hose, the water went on it and it went up through my arm, and I felt it. Then it scared me for a second, and then I thought it was interesting, and then I told her to do it, too. So that's how that, I didn't know the the concept right. in a bigger picture. Right. Just that little you one. You weren't trying to kill her. You weren't trying no, to kill her. No, no, I just. That wasn't your <laughs> No. <clears throat> but, so, after the weekend, it, 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 I was told that that didn't work out, and then, and then the caves, the caves were, Bolded. They're like, we think she sabotaged the visit. And, and it's, you know, you have to make sure she understands that this is not going to be her home forever. So it went from them asking me to, about adoption to them marginalizing me to the side, focusing on the other children. And, you know, I felt, you know, I felt so unhappy. I didn't want to live for a little while. But then um, I went to a different home, and that didn't really work out because I still had that bedwetting problem, and it was a poor farming household, and uh, I, I I was having the bedwetting problem still and not able to sleep. And this and this person was into punishment punishment cycles. So if you did something wrong, you had to first get your mouth washed out with soap until you gagged. And then you had to run in place for 15 minutes with your hands over your head, with your legs getting hit by a flash water while you, if you didn't lift your knees high enough, and then a bare butt belt spanking. So it was like a cycle thing. And she used to do it sometimes a couple times a day. And she did it to her own other adopted son too and she said that she got a lot worse when she was growing up and she still loved her mom you know i remember that and when i you know when she said if you think this is bad you should have seen what i grew up with you know with my mom that type of thing so i do think it's sometimes intergenerational and even if it's a weaker echo of what they experienced it's still an illegal thing that can harm and damage growing children. So I was there for a total of about six months. The placement didn't take. The little boy, Brandon, he wanted a brother, not a sister, because he wanted a little brother to play football with. That's what he said. So he would never play with me. So uh, they didn't like, they didn't, I didn't fit into the family because the little boy wouldn't play with me. And then the the dad was like a distant dad, one of those dads who's mostly a quiet figure that you're afraid to disturb in an armchair after work type dad. So um, I didn't really get close to him. 
I got close to her to some degree, but um, she wasn't happy with me. I mean, I was wet in the bed all the time, and and um, I was having problems in school. You know, I just, I was having anxiety issues because I was having anxiety issues at home. But um, she did, this is what did it, though. She decided that I was being willful by staying up at night uh, from... From past eight thirty, eight thirty was bedtime. She th- and I couldn't sleep, so I'd lay there in the dark, you know. And then she'd come in and she'd notice that I wasn't asleep, and she's like, "Why aren't you asleep?" And I'm like, "I can't sleep yet." And it's always been that way for me. So, um, you know, she, then she started spanking me every half hour past eight thirty that I wasn't asleep, bare butt spanking, and. So to be to try to teach me to go to sleep earlier, and um, I'd get two or three sessions in before I'd cry enough to pass out to sleep from that. So it wasn't. But one day she um, she gave me this chicken pan because I had chores. It was a farm, so I had chores, things like feeding the six hogs or. Um, that night it was my night to do the dishes and I'm seven, but I'm able to do the dishes pretty well. And, but, um, there was a chicken pan that a chicken had been cooked in and I only had a washcloth to work with and I wasn't able to clean the pan. And she was telling me, you know, do it again. And if you don't do it right this time, you're going to get the punishment cycle. And then, um, you know, I, I didn't want to do it again. You know, I'd already had the punishment cycle that day, and I didn't want to do that all again. And so I did my very best, but I wasn't able to do it. And then she said, that's it. And I, I said, I said, uh, touch me and I'll kill you. And yes, I was seven, but I, I I don't have any idea how to kill anybody. But um, I, I just, yeah. I said, I said it. And... I felt good about it because I stood up for myself finally. And but she melted magically away, and I thought that that was I felt so good about myself. And then when I woke up the next day, I noticed that Brandon wasn't there in the bed next to mine because we had shared a room, and that the school bus had already left. And then um, she this 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 lady had my breakfast on a tray like I was a princess or something and on the coffee table and there was my caseworker and my princess breakfast tray like it I'd always been in the lap of luxury set to the side you know and you know and I was taken to a mental hospital my first mental hospital at the age of seven so um that that I spent several a few months there at Northside psychiatric hospital in Northfield, I think it's Northfield, Ohio, but, um, and then was released and went into a foster care again, and that was a pretty neutral home, you know, they were a little distant from the foster kids, nice, but distant, so I, it was fine, I played on their farm a lot, and I was happy doing that, although I didn't know what was going to happen to the future, and I was feeling kind of sad and depressed about what happened at the home that I was at before. Um, 
then I got adopted by the Lehmans. Now that worked out pretty well for like about the first year and a half. Year and a half, they were they were nice to me. They loved me. They took me places. They did things with me. They were happy. They were laughing with each other. But then some things started to go wrong in their life. And it was more like uh, there were financial woes and a business that was failing. And their marriage was failing for a little while. And it was all, you know, pretty bad. And then, um, And then I felt detached from them. And I mostly stayed away from them after a while. But I tried to earn their love in a, a few different little ways. But, um, you know, the only time they paid attention to me is if I did something wrong. And, they, you know, it just, and, you know, I, I, I also, when I was 12, what happened was I was with them and had a pretty stable time period from, like, ages 8 to about 10. And then I started having some difficulties in in terms of, um socialization at school. I was not able to socialize very well at school. Got into a fight in front of the class, some different things. I was starting to experiment with alcohol and drugs already, just in little ways. I had a adopted mother who smoked, so I would filter a cigarette or a butt from her ashtray once in a while for myself. And there was alcohol in the refrigerator because sometimes I would filter a cup, a few sips of wine or a can of beer for myself from the fridge, and nobody would notice. So, um, and when I was 12, I found my bio mom because I started, I started seventh grade, and I lived, I I felt funny every time I went by the street, and then I realized one day. I lived on that street when I was four, on that street, specifically in that house, because it was a distinctively painted house. It had one floor painted yellow and one floor painted red. And um, I I went down there after school, and I knocked on the door, and it was, it was, it was, in the book I call him, Butch, I do that because I don't want to be sued. I don't want to be physically abused or sexually abused by somebody and then get sued for it because I said something in a book. So I changed the names of the guilty, not to protect them, but to protect me from being further victimized. So, yeah. But if it, well, if it ever got can to I go a big enough. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was just going to say maybe maybe this would be a good time to stop since you've kind of gone through, okay. you know, a lot of your, your younger years. And um, my co-host Penelope is on the, the line with us as well, and I just wanted to see if maybe she had anything that she wanted to ask you or say, any comments or anything. So, Penelope, did you have anything you needed, wanted to say or uh, needed yes, to? Yes, thank you, Kim. <laughs> yes, thank you, Kim. And yeah. Deanna. Wow, I'm just I'm listening um, and hanging on every word that you're saying. And first of all, I just want to say you're just doing such a great job um, telling us your story. And you're 
the tone of your voice, your voice, you have such a sweetness about you and such a calmness about you. And it's, it's, I think it's really inspiring just for, for those that are listening in for me, I read your bio, you know, and I, I've, mm. I'm hearing your story and I've, I've, I'm not in my head because a lot of things, unfortunately, I can relate to um, the experiences that you shared right. with us. Um, but the fact that you um, obviously are someone that has found some contentment um, and your strength, that's, that's inspiring in and of itself. Um, and, you know, you explain that um, these horrific things that happened to you, both sexually, physically, verbally, emotionally, and, um, you know, you, you may have a learning disability uh, because of, you know, your eye potentially being burnt by your mother. Um, these are such horrific things, uh, unbelievable, heinous. I mean, it's just even impossible to put into words, but here you are um, um, and the way that you're telling your story and you're representing yourself is, um, it's almost, it's almost unbelievable, the strength that you have. So I just was it that is just resonating with me and coming through as you're speaking. And I wanted to let you know how Thank it you. is falling on someone on the other end. And, you know, you said some things that were so, um, so many things that I wish I'd started writing them all down because of course, you know, like in one ear, not the other. Um, as I'm trying to remember everything that I want to, you know, either ask you a question or make a remark about. But, I mean, there's so many things that you've brought up. For example, you know, um, adoption being in foster care. My gosh, I wish I wish people in their 50s could adopt if that's not the case now, if they haven't, you know, moved that age limit. Because I feel like once I'm 53, and I know Kim said she's 55, and I feel like I'm probably, I've done enough work on my, of myself. I've done a lot, enough therapy and, you know, my own personal, you know, mm-hmm. work that I feel like I'm finally ready to be the best mom ever, you know. So I, I do think that people in their 50s, like we finally, you know, if you've done the work and you, you know, you're finally old enough to have children, you know, mentally and, you know, I think um, in, from a maturation standpoint. So, you know, I really hope that that's yeah. changing because I, I, do, I do think that, um, you know, um, we, uh, those, you know, we do work and we're, we're, we're ready to be our best parents, I think, you know, some of us in our 50s. So, um, but you also said something that I think is very, very true, and I think that there are a lot of little um, other innuendos and things that can fall into this, but you had mentioned, you know, um, in the beginning of your um, testimony that there are just children that no matter how bad it is at home with a parent, right, there's this yes. gravitational biological pull to want to be with that parent, to protect that parent no matter what it, you know, no matter what the stakes are, and um I know my a girlfriend of mine and her husband went to the they wanted to become foster parents and she, she was sharing all of this with me many, many years ago about what they were learning and just that, that children will withstand just the most horrific of, of scenarios be, just to stay with their biological parents. It's just unbelievable and you touched upon that. But what I also want to mention is, you know, we talk about, you know, the abuse, the child abuse, the physical child abuse, the sexual child abuse, the emotional abuse, the mental abuse. Um, it doesn't. It does not discriminate. Um, it doesn't only happen in certain areas with a certain, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds or you know, certain um, ethnicity. Right. It is. It is um, you know, equal opportunity, and so um, we have to remember that when we think, oh no, it's not happening in that home or that person, because you know, that's just. We have to remember that it's it's happening. 
and it happens everywhere, and we have to open our, you know, our eyes to that. So children will cover up and camouflage and stay in the worst of situations um, to, to sometimes protect and be with that biological parent. And so I think we just need to understand that we, we I, need I to knew someone who. I knew someone whose stepdad told her straight out, you say anything about it, you'll get taken out of your home, you'll get yanked out of your mm-hmm. school, you won't be with your brothers or sisters, and you won't be with your mom, and I'll be there because I'm innocent until proven guilty. Right. That was enough to keep her to keep her mouth shut for quite a while. And children will keep their mouth shut. It's the adults that need to open their eyes and their ears and to be aware of this stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um so you, you brought that up, and I wanted to say thank you for that because that's just a common, you know, theme that we talk about on NASCA. And the other thing that you mentioned is, you know, your bedwetting. And uh, not that every every baby and every toddler and every child that wets their bed has been abused or is being abused or has been sexually abused, but it certainly is a symptom. And I think that we also need to be aware of that, that the bedwetting is a, can be a symptom and to be aware. And it gets back to adults need to be aware and to, to, to you know, investigate these things um, um, even if we want to brush them off or we don't really want to face it or we don't want to think it's anything I think we owe it to our children to investigate these things so um, I, I just want to say just from everything that you've shared um, to this point I am I'm just really really inspired by you and um, and all that you've accomplished and I know that there's more coming so I won't take up any more time but I really can appreciate oh I do appreciate that Technology I really and appreciate that. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Penelope. Um, should we see if Philip wants to say anything, or does he just want to listen? Yeah, no. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Anyone, anyone wants to wants to have some, something to say? It's you. Um, do you. You know, I'm not. Anything? Hey, Philip. Oh, go ahead. I I volunteer I volunteer and help other people with their writing. That is cool. I I'm helping I'm helping I'm helping one poet this out with script. I'm helping uh I'm help I'm going to be helping another fellow out with his autobiography, uh, the Tales of Gringo Grande. And um, let's see, I, I've helped other people out with their poetry, and also I have a publication. I started a publication called Neo, and I work with the I work with the writers and the poets for that as well as the graphic designers, and that's my way of having fun with friends. But um, the most I can do considering that um, I suffer from schizophrenia and hear voices and have a social security income of $914 a month. Because of that, I can only do so much, but I can give my time. And the best way that I can help people is I help people with their poetry. I help people with their writing. I'm an editor. I edit, I've i edited five different books free of charge. Um and I have two more on my plate coming up. So that's what I do. To I, I know that's not the typical volunteer thing, but I have only lived in my location for the last 10 months I came here because I met a wonderful fellow through Facebook named David Selig, and he's a professional photographer, and he read my books, and 
and he came to me, and we ended up together. So I've been here for about 10 months. I'm still sort of settling into the community because I have difficulty sometimes leaving my own house. So um, I'm more introverted, and I'm not really um, ready to be tossed into a sea of people to donate time. But I can do other things for people. I can help the creative ones out who don't have a way to pay editors, you know. Uh, there's uh, some of some of my creative friends are not, you know, while well, everybody has friends who are not doing well, but um, I try to help them out by keeping them focused on the projects that they have to do for me. And then I also help them to polish and finish it up. So I hope that answers your question. That's all I can do for now. However, if I were to become a bigger a bigger author, what I would like to do is I would like to start well my start small with um the children in children's homes. I know because I lived in a children's home, and the only thing you get for back to school is um a spiral bound notebook and an ink pen. So I was thinking to give what makes us what makes us stand out and be different as kids from the children's home or kids in foster care is usually what we don't have, you know. So things that are and I know it's a first world problem. I know, but giving them like a backpack, a decent backpack with colored pencils and 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 sketch pads as well as as well as the papers and notebooks and folders. Because believe it or not, you don't know how many times I got in trouble at school because I needed to have a folder for my book report back in the day when you had folders for book reports. And I didn't have access to one, didn't have a job, and couldn't go to the store because I was in the children's home. Or a teacher who didn't want spiral-bound notebook paper wanted flat-edged, rule-bound notebook paper instead. Or you know just little things like that. So I would I would start with the children who are in the children's homes, and um, usually and get get them a backpack that would have that as well as maybe sneakers for school. I think that's a very practical pair of shoes. I know that they own, when I was in the children's home, this beginning of the school year is fifty dollars, which was I thought was generous because I lived in a situation where I didn't get anything for the start of the school year frequently. So um, I was I was happy with the $50, but still, after you buy a 20, 20 or $30 pair of shoes, it doesn't leave much, and underwear and socks, but doesn't leave much for anything else. So, but at least a pair of sneakers. So backpacks stuffed with wonderful items, and then sneakers, and maybe winter jackets, too, because that's another thing that makes us kind of stand out is how shabby or thin the winter jackets can be. But, you know, honestly, my perception is completely tinged because I grew up in more like, you know, for the longest time, more like in an indigent situation, you know? So, hey, um, I'm sorry, Deanna and Kim and Philip, mm-hmm. this is Penelope. Just because I, this is relevant, we have a Nazca family member. His name is Paul Howard. He was on the show pretty mm-hmm. recently, and he's actually, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's a film producer, and mm. um, but he tells a story, it's, you know, very similar to your story, very similar to my story, 
Um, and he's produced some films. And his latest film is called A Pebble in the Pond. And it's a pebble about in the pond. This, Yes, and I would just say I think you'd enjoy watching it. And it's kind of like a documentary a little bit. It's very well done. But it's about this nonprofit organization that was started almost, I don't know, 100 years ago. It's all across the country. And the organization, um, they provide school supplies and backpacks and sneakers to children in need. Oh, do they? Well, and then they've already yes. done it. I thought, I thought that you had to kind of do things yourself to make sure that 100% of the money goes to it. Well, so that's you know why what? I thought to do it myself. No, and you can do it yourself, but it just talks about the impact of just doing that does on these kids. So mm-hmm. you can totally do it independently, but I just think it's a really well done um, movie, and um, it just yeah. kind of touches up on um, your you know your desire to help in that way. And you don't have yeah. to you know jump on this charitable you know nonprofit organization that's you know national because I don't know how far reaching they are, but this is your impact of not only on the kids so they don't feel embarrassed. But the people that yes. help the kids and how, when the kids do these things, you know how, you know how to help that. Yeah. So I don't know. I think you'd enjoy seeing the movie just to see the kind of impact that that kind of an effort would make. So Thank I think you. you'd enjoy I wrote that down. It. It's a huge. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. It, it it not only changes the lives of the children, but it changes the lives of those that are actually helping. You know, um, provide this to the children. So I think you'd enjoy it. One one other thing, if I got stronger, would be to create to create to try to create a situation, perhaps even and even um, create a program through the federal government to help the 18 to 21 year olds who age out of the system, 25 percent of which become homeless within the first two years, 33% of which are incarcerated after two years out. There's some stats that I'd read recently. So um, if we have, there's a problem, like even if you have a foster kid who's really determined and a good kid and, and does and gets scholarships, they don't have a place to stay in the summertime when they're going to college if they do manage to get dorm rooms. Another another problem is just, you know, uh, just the person is frequently isolated and alone. It's very difficult to make it on your own without family or any fallback, especially if you've been limited, you know, in terms of like in foster care, you usually have to have a curfew, can't really go out with many friends, boyfriends or girlfriends are discouraged too not allowed to talk on the phone really, stuff like that that interrupts the normal socialization towards the end when you, when you have to band together to get out on your own. So aging out is, the, is, a, is a huge, uh, if we could just make a halfway house for people ages 18 to 21 who have aged out of the foster care system to, uh, and, and to have adults and access to job training programs or maybe community, to help with community college, maybe living in dorm rooms of sorts. I know that, that I don't think that program's been done before. I haven't heard of it. I have heard of backpack programs before, and I think it's great. I would have loved to have had a backpack full of supplies 
that in colorful supplies and and I you don't know how many times I didn't bring my books home from school because it was raining or snowing outside and I didn't want my books and papers to get wet. You just leave them in your locker at school. Mm. Yeah, but um, and then you don't get your work done either because mm-hmm. you didn't take it with you. Oh. And I yes. um, I just wanted to let you know that your friend Maggie is on the line as well, and I was just gonna bring her on real quick so that she could say hi. Is that okay? Sure. Hello. Let's see if she had a question for you. So, do you, Maggie, you're hi. on. Yeah. No, hey, Diana, how are you? <laughs> Very good, thank you. How are you today? Yeah, I was just wondering about, like, you are going to talk about, like, some 90s grunge of fashion wear tonight. And um, I was just here to call in to ask about it, like you had on your face, um, about the uh, Kinder Horror fashion. And I was like, oh, I used to dress like that back when I was in the 90s, when I was a fan of, like, all these grunge bands. And I just thought, yeah, you're going to talk about that. Yeah, I used to, I didn't know that you know I didn't know that that was called the Kinder Horror fashion thing for a while. I actually just did it because I thought I had come up with it myself, but evidently I haven't. So um, <laughs> I looked. At, I, I noticed it. I noticed the Kinder Horror fashion thing when I looked it up to see if anybody else had named a book or um, a song or an album after it, uh-huh. and, cool. and it was there. It was there. So. Um, it's from a it's from a it's it's from a sentence in the book where and also I have fringe subcultural roots where I was doing a gothic literary magazine and I got used to using shock value sometimes to get attention. I wanted oh, yeah. people to pick up the book, pick up the book mm-hmm. and say, What's this about? Right. And then once I have once you pick up the book, I've got you if you read it in like books. Yeah. So I that's but it was from a sentence in the book talking about my teenage uncle who was babysitting me and him sexually abusing me. And I said he used me like his little whore. A kinder whore paid for it in attention and kindness. Oh. So, I was going to know where the story comes from. I thought it was a fashion iconoclastic thing you were doing. I'll read it in your book. Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> cool. You know, uh, yeah, I think I just I, can I say something? This is Kim, real quick. I just wanted to say something about your comment, Maggie, because um, there was there's a, a support group that I am a part of, and the counselor in that group had oh, just cool. sent out an email on Facebook, or an email she had said to me, she had said to people on Facebook, I'm thinking about doing like a, a podcast on the, um, how how did she phrase it? It has to do with, um, basically what it is is she has a picture of Olivia Newton-John where she's sweet and, you know, everybody likes her because she's so sweet. And then it's got her, she's dressed up at the end, you know, where she's sexy. And, you know, how society kind of, I mean, they kind of label you in either one of those categories. And if you right. kind of step over into a category that you're not labeled in, in their mind, that it throws everybody off, and then they think that you are probably a whore because you're dressing different than you used to. 
So it, yeah. it's interesting, I think, just with the, the comment that you made, I just kind of connected that, it, kind of what you were saying. I don't know if that's similar to what you were, you were trying to get across or not, but... Um, yeah, that was kind of interesting that you. Oh yeah, I just remember it was that. like super popular, like in the '90s when Hole came out, when like uh, was uh, when Kurt Cobain's wife like had a band and like she made that style of fashion like super popular. So I didn't actually know yeah. where like it came from. So thanks for cleaning that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't I don't know if that's where it came from or not, but because <laughs> I yeah. think it was probably going on long before that, but. Um, that yeah. was just the example that was on Facebook that she had. But yeah, oh, you know, I, I would I would like to say I'd take a hardcore stance on it, but to be honest, if a huge if a huge publishing company loved my book but hated my book title, I would just call it Child of the Moon. Child of the Moon. Because the first sentence of the book is I was born into a world of darkness and my mother was the moon. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I would change it, but I don't know. I, I there's no reason to at this point if it's going to stay at the grassroots level, um, then I can have more freedom. Oh, cool. Thanks mm. for answering. My well, question. no, I think it's powerful. Yeah, I think yeah. it's very powerful. Like, by the name of your book, for sure. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think we're ready for it. I mean. There was a there was a book called Bastard Out of Carolina that ended up becoming a movie with a share that won a Tony Award. So a little obscenity in title is okay. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. well, the society, society's yeah. ready for it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But, it's um, not like the Fendi where you gotta you know have two different beds when you. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. they're not quite that. They're not there anymore. Um, yeah, so let's go, if you don't mind, since we're kind of all over the place. And and believe it or not, I don't know if you've listened to the talk, but we only have 30 minutes left of the show. So I know it goes okay. really, really fast. But I was wondering if you could kind of just go back a little bit, because we kind of got through your, your elementary years and everything. So I want to talk, right. you know, about how you recovered and how you're doing what you're doing today. So can you kind of take us into that? Well, um, in a in a lifetime that has been has been affected, uh, I I went through periods where I did really well, and then periods where I I had uh, psychological ailments from it, usually in times of hardship. So, um, when I was older, I got happier and didn't have any difficulties because I moved. I moved from that little town in Ohio, Ashtabula. I moved from my little town in Ashtabula, Ohio, to Florida, and I was. Um, I started a literary magazine at the school, but they didn't let me publish what I wanted to publish, so I broke away from the literary magazine. I started and started my own uh, rogue literary magazine and I called it Pandora's Box and that's what that second book is all about is that time period and I was a exotic dancer in high school because I wasn't living at home and I needed a job and it was the only job in my neighborhood that paid decently so I ended up in my senior year of high school being an exotic dancer so I was like student by day and working at night 
and still doing my zine. And so I started create, being creative, too, writing poetry and drawing and everything. So um, the creative elements help uh, a troubled mind. It's, it's very good for that. It helps everybody, but I think that it can be used as a tool to help troubled individuals. And um, I was really happy in that time period. And then I um, was an exotic dancer for a few years. And, and, and then I got married to a Japanese fellow. And um, I ended up going off to college. And um, I was with the Japanese fellow for 10 years. But um, I started feeling stressed out living in Japan for five years. That's the third book, Japanese Dreams that is available um i started i started having difficulties because um some important people in my life died including one of my children and then uh, i had i had i have two living i have two living children but the third one didn't make it and then i started to have a a deterioration living in japan for so long overseas so what it's I write about what it's like to live overseas what it's like to go to college there what it's like to graduate there what it's like to work there I was in English as a second language teacher for Japanese students and um but I started drinking too much in the night at nighttime before bed reading literature and drinking brandy and um I I was living and also the book is about going to a completely different socioeconomic status i was suddenly in the upper middle class and i'd always been either indigent class or working class before so it was like i talk about what that's like and how i felt like i'd become the enemy and all sorts of things and and it was it was just kind of fun to 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 see the transformation over time where finally I'm like, why the heck does my husband have to pay 50, more than 50% for his social, you know, for for his paycheck, 50% of it gone, you know? So it was its own little winding road. It's kind of funny. But, um, yeah, um, so I, I was doing pretty well in that time period, having children and going to school and learning and growing. But at the end of the... I had some difficulties in Japan, um, but I started having difficulties with the schizophrenia is what they call it. That's what it's diagnosed as, but what it is is I hear voices all the time. When I'm not talking and I'm just being quiet, I hear voices, and it's sometimes threatening and sometimes it's friendly, and it's just something that I have to live with, so I do my best to ignore them. I listen to earbuds six or seven hours a day. I listen to music while I'm doing my work and housework. I I listen to music and that helps me a lot. So that's what I do to deal with that and I write my books. That the the writing of the books and doing the poetry and you know, um I would I I have to also if I have this opportunity I would like to um I would like to thank uh, David, David, my boyfriend David, first and foremost, for all that he's done for me to make this possible. And, you know, just Dale Michaels, he did the covers for me free of charge. 
you did the covers for me for my book series and everything. There's so many people out there who are creative and you just get together and make things together and it's a wonderful way to bond. And so the creative the creative outlet is what works best for me. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure everybody has different ways. Mm. Yeah, and it takes trying to, you know, it takes a little bit of time to figure that out. And I think, um, you know, sometimes work. When I was younger, I would, when I was younger, I would just drink or do drugs to to not feel uh, anxiety or social stress, you know. Now I just accept my introverted nature, but when I was younger, I used to force myself to try to be extroverted and go in social situations, and I never felt right unless I was drunk a little bit or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. But you find your tactics and as you like get you. older. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Well, so now, are your children in Japan? Is that where they live? Now or um, I ended States? up, I ended up, um, I ended up giving. I gave custody to my ex for my children because I was dealing, I was dealing, I was not able to get, I was not able to wrest custody from my husband because he had the advantage of it. We were living in Japan at the time. Also, I had no financial, I had no financial backing of my own or family to assist me in uh, the divorce process. I had no money of my own, just what little bit I earned, um, which was put into, contributed to the household. So um, I didn't have the money to leave Japan with both of my children. I left with one of them, but then decided when I saw that I would have to with the type of money that I was earning, I found a job. I didn't have a safe environment yet. And so I ended up realizing that when I had a, a boyfriend, I realized I didn't trust him enough to bring my daughter and that I didn't have the financial wherewithal. So I decided that I wanted the best for my children, and I had them both. I left them with my ex-husband. And now they're... Both have both graduating. One has graduated with her PhD in pharmacology, and the other is getting his PhD in engineering, and he's still working towards it. And um, they're both heirs to his estate, and they're worth millions of dollars each. And before they even lift a finger, and I wanted them to have all that, and they would have never had anything like that with me. They might have even gotten well, taken away from me when I started having the mental deterioration. Yeah. Well, and that's what a mom is. You know, mom wants to do what's best for their kids. So that's admirable. That's very admirable that she were able to do that. Because that could not have been mom, easy, I'm sure. <laughs> no. Well, I talked to them by phone for the longest time after I left. But as they got older, the father started to poison them against me in terms of telling them that I was a bad person. And and then finally he made it so that if they're heirs to his estate, that they'll listen to what he says. And um, he doesn't want them to contact me or have anything to do with me and social media. 
Now they're both adults, so I peak. They're both adults, but they're heirs to his estate, so they'll he'll always be daddy, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I'm grateful yeah. that they have. They're from a good samurai family, you know, and they have good status, and they're they have good education. They're going to have a great job. I'm a little worried. My daughter's 28. I'm a little worried. Is she going to get married anytime soon? But I guess that's probably a normal thing. I hear <laughs> from. I know oh, do she doesn't want. Yeah, and I peek in on her using other people's account for social media too. So, if I, that's what I have to do, that's what I have to do. And, you know, yeah. even I acknowledge that in my book series when I said my I was born into a world of darkness and my mother was the moon, cool and distant, you know, cool and cold and distant and unsmiling. But when it, when it got to the point in my book where my children are no longer speaking to them, and I said, and I became like the moon, cool and distant in relation to my children. So whether I liked it or not, I repeated an echo of, from abuse in a way to my children. I still managed to affect them negatively, and I'm the bad example of what not to do. And, um, you know, because they knew that mommy had a drinking problem. They never saw me doing it ever, but they heard about it from daddy. So, you know... Uh, that's all they get to hear. Uh, I mean, so, uh, at least if it's used not to make it so that my kids never want to drink, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Let it be something useful. Mm. Well, and you never now know. I just, you know, maybe once he passes away, maybe then they will want to reach out to you. So there could come yeah. a time, you know. Maybe hopefully get back in touch with you again. Yeah. So they're like in their... Well, well, you said your daughter's 28, so your son's like mid-20s as well, or? 26, yes. 26, yes. But he's not expected to marry, you know, that whole different double standard. He's not expected to marry until at least his mid-30s. <laughs> yeah. But she needs to. She needs to find somebody. Oh, they're they're cruel over yeah, you know, there about, about women's ages. They call anything over 25 expired Christmas cake. I know, I know. You know, they they had they have another that's I just finished book three, which was covering Japanese dreams, which covers my time over there. They have something in Japan called, uh, you know, Valentine's Day over there means the girls give chocolates or bake cookies for the guys, and. Oh, the, guys have a, the guys have a full month to sit back and deliberate if they like that particular girl. And if they do, they'll give her a month later, they have something called White Day, where they give something back to the girl who gifted them on Valentine's Day. So they have the girls being submissive over there, but going after them for them, you know, trying to get married, which is a big deal over there, getting married. Mm. It's yeah. like that. It's more like the 1950s over there in a lot of ways. Even there's so behind a little bit. In yeah, yeah, but that was because I was in a countrified section of Japan, Aomori, 
I described the occasional outfit. You know, I wanted to be, you know, to capture, to be a little bit of a time capsule to the different time periods. And I was a kid of the 80s. I'm 49 years old. I was a kid of the 80s and and a teen of the 90s. You know, and I, and, and I tried to capture that as much as I could. And so, yeah. um, that's part of it, too. Uh, Should we see if anybody has any questions? Sure. Before we head out? Um, we're yeah. down to about 13 minutes, so. Okay, great. Yeah, Penelope, did that's you have great. anything you wanted to ask? Oh my gosh, I don't I don't think I don't think so. I've said so much. I can't believe. Yes. <laughs> I hope it was just the right amount. Yes. Oh, oh no, you've been was. perfect. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you. Oh, you've been I mean, absolutely fantastic, honestly. This is Penelope mm-hmm. and I just really enjoyed you know, like I said, hearing your hearing your testimony and you know, your openness and some of the things you've shared, you know, help those that are um, out there that are, you know, on the road to recovery or even, you know, at the inception of, of beginning um, recovery as an adult from, you know, their adverse, you know, childhood experiences um, and child abuse. And, you know, you'd mentioned something that I also for um, wanted to bring up more in the beginning of the show, and that was, you know, you've experienced uh, physical abuse, you've experienced sexual abuse, um, but a lot of times, you know, the emotional abuse, the emotional impact can be the most, you know, penetrating and the most enduring form of abuse. And um, thank you for saying that and bringing that up because, you know, I have found that to be true in my experience. And I've heard so many um, others that, you know, say, well, you know, I was only, you know, I was only emotionally abused or I was only verbally abused or mentally abused. And I think, oh, please don't say only because um, don't minimize it. It's, it's, um, sometimes it's, as I said, even the emotional, um, you know, mental um, aspects of, of the abuse is what, is what tends to linger. So thank you for bringing that up because it really does help so many other people, um, you know, validate um, their uh, their own experience. So I just want to say thank you for bringing that up. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Penelope. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, um, Maggie, did you have anything you it's wanted wonderful. to say before we head out? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was great. I was just really happy to hear the phone, the um, the uh, podcast on the phone. That was awesome. Thank you so much for calling in. Yeah, thank you so much. (laughs) That is sweet. Yeah, Yeah, we always like to have our friends on our side. It's nice to have that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, I uh, was so nervous about this particular interview that I, I... I only told people about it, and I told them to listen in, and I I posted to listen in, but I didn't know about I didn't ask people to call in per se, except sure. Scott, who who was mm-hmm. the one who connected me with Kim, so yeah, Kim, so that that That's was wonderful. That's fine. You know what? 
And it's but, going um, to be on the NASCA pet website forever. So it's usually posted, like, um, I believe within a half an hour after we're finished, it'll post onto the okay. NASCA website. So you go to, to NASCA, N-A-S-C-A. Yes. I'm 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 part of and the Facebook. Yeah. It'll be there. Okay. Yeah. And then find your, your so your scan number tonight is three two three one. So you just look for three, that two, scan three, number, three two three one. And you yes. can give it to anybody and it'll be there forever. I mean I I first told my testimony on the show as well about seven years ago. That's how I started. Wow. Too. And um and so mine is still on there, too. I don't even know where it is anymore. <laughs> so you've been volunteering somewhere. all this time, too. You've been volunteering well, actually, all this time, I didn't for too. a while. Yeah, I mean, I, mm. I've always kind of stayed in touch a little bit, but it was just like within the last year and a half, maybe, or so, that it, um, I was asked if I wanted to, to help do host as well. So, yeah, it's been really fulfilling, and I get to meet such neat people. And I also want you yes. to know... I mean, we still got a few more minutes, so you can still tell us a few more things. But you're a part of the NASCA family, and you're welcome to call in anytime if you want to call in. You know, and just be a part of the show. You're welcome to do that anytime. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're a part Thank of the you. family now. So, and feel free Thank to you. connect with us. I know Penelope has sent you a friend request, and I did as well. So, on Facebook. So, oh, okay. yeah, just connect That's with whoever you can. You, and if you need something. If you need something, just, you know, if you need, if there's any way that I can help, like if you need a document edited, I'm a good person okay. for that. Okay. Like, or a letter, or a, 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 an influential letter. Yes. Okay. I, just, yeah, I don't well, know. I'm just saying that, that I, if I can help you as a writer in any way, I will. Okay. Well, thank, thank you. you. Mm-hmm. So why don't you let everybody know? I know you did mention kind of your book, but why don't you let people know yeah. how to get a hold of you? So you could mention your Facebook page and your. Um, do you have a website as well? Yes, it's uh, and I'm my my full name is Deanna M. Lehman, middle initial M. So that one is DeannaMLehman.com. So it's uh, D E A N N A. M L E H M A N dot com. So I have that website and then if anybody would like to contact me through email, I'm lowercase D E A N N A one two three two one at Gmail dot com. So um uh I also am a um, a producer of a publication called Mio, and I've done other publications in the past. So, anybody who's interested in writing poetry or um, writing um, sci-fi article, sci-fi stories, or little articles with their latest pet thought, that's something that also can they can you can work through me if if you'd like to. I, I put it all together into a pretty publication, 3D publication. Not, I want, I wanted, to, I like to do it retro style instead of just all online. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. It sounds like you have a lot of creative outlets that that are helpful to others. So that's very sweet. 
Well, now instead of the babies I'm holding in my arms, my my babies weigh a little less. They're more like a pound and nine ounces each. Yeah. I've got three. I've yeah. got three of them in the books. Yeah. And they don't grow. They stay there, don't no, they? No, <laughs> they just stay there. But the fact that they're there yeah. at all sometimes amazes me. Mm. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that is. That's awesome. Yes. But, but I am part of out of the circle of life. So if I do become a famous author, whatever, whatever I earn or make, it'll just have to go to society, which is fine. Yeah. But, um, so my children, but maybe, maybe my children will change their mind if I have more money than their dad does at any point. <laughs> Maybe that will make a difference then. You know what? I think just because, like you said, you wanted your mom's approval and you wanted your mom's love, even though she was abusive to you. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, that they will, they've got to have some kind of feelings for you because you're their mom. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be about money. So, husband, I mean, I would, I have a hard time with it. My mom's my mom's husband is awful. He bought my books and he and he reads and I, I, I kinda I hate to say it, I will smile a little bit about this, but he bought her books and my sisters read the books and he read the book and he kind of brings up things from the book to her on a regular basis. So he uses it to torment her. <clears throat> So it's kind of like it's a messed up situation, but at the same token, the hurt kid inside of me that was so angry at what she did, especially if she took my vision, you know? Yeah. That is that is yeah. very difficult to have a disability where you have to stare at yourself in the mirror every day that you're brushing your teeth. It's there. So, you know. Sorry. Oh no, no! I just do the best well, I can with what I've got, and then, then move on. But you know, she knows for sure. And I, if she did do that, then if she did do that to me, then I don't care if she was. You will see. My mom, her situation was a bad one. She was uh, one of nine children, and um, both of my uh, both of my grandparents were alcoholics. And they had nine children and were lived, you know, basically hillbillies. And it was in Virginia, mountains of Virginia. And then um, they set her down at the table one day when she was 14 and told her that she was going to marry this guy and that they couldn't afford to take care of her anymore. So she would have to go off with this guy and get married with them. And that's how she ended up starting off in life. So she didn't have a very good go of it either. Yeah, she had a really bad go of it. So, but still, well, I think she like, shouldn't. Oh, no. I mean, yeah. how old is your sister? Is she, is she younger? My All my all my siblings. I'm the oldest of 13 on both, both oh, wow. my bio parents. I'm the oldest of 13, but all of them are half-siblings. But, yeah. I'm, um, all my siblings are younger than me. My mother was 16 when she had me, and my father was 18. Although she was married to somebody else from the time she was 14. 
So I'm yeah, an adulteress. That's... So I'm a child of adulteress, uh, okay. adultery, and since it was the second, it, since it was the cousin of the person she married, adulteress incest. So um, let's see if you go by strict laws of church that means bound for hell instantly you can see why when i got older those seeds of atheism grew a little faster with thoughts like that around yeah but yeah Yeah. no i don't believe that at all i believe every baby was is this is love so nature my my um my bio mom and dad my my bio dad went into the services as soon as he found out, into the military air force as soon as he found out that my mom was pregnant. Didn't want response. Yeah. Didn't want response well, didn't want to get killed by her husband. Yeah, his cousin. Oh, yeah. that's gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, Deanna, I know again, it's so thank scary you so much for being on. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah, you so we much. We are winding down the I really show, and it, it has been a pleasure. Yeah, it has been such a pleasure yes. to have you on. And thank you, Penelope, thank for being on with us again. And Maggie oh, thank for calling me in. Okay, thank yeah, you so okay, much, okay. you guys. And Philip, call it in, too. I think Philip already had to leave. But um, as, as we always say on NASCA, there's enough eyes and ears out there, adult eyes and ears out there, to watch out for all children. So if you see something, please say something. Have a good evening, everyone. Thanks. Another tomorrow, cause that's gone away.